Weather people have a great job because they don't have to be right very often. You know, most of us go to work and we need to be right most of the time if we want to hang on to the, the jobs that we have, but weather folks, they don't have to be right all the time, and I'm hoping that they're wrong. Um, my son needs to go back to school uh, on time tomorrow, and uh, we've already got schools that are saying they're going to start late and all those sorts of things, so we'll see what happens, but I'm glad that you're back here tonight, um, primarily to worship uh, and also to spend some time studying from God's Word, and so we're going to be talking about some things tonight. We'll, our main text is Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, uh, but you may want to go ahead and mark the book of Exodus because we'll spend some time there in a few minutes also. I want to invite you back next Sunday night. Uh, because we're going to talk about one of those subjects in developing this I can sort of attitude that, that probably won't affect many of us, but maybe a few. We're going to talk about the idea of I can overcome worry. Anybody worry ever? Uh, so be back next Sunday night for that. I won't be here Sunday morning. I had a previous commitment uh, on my calendar that I need to keep, and so Wayne Barrier will be here next Sunday morning. Uh, of course, Wayne is no stranger to these parts, and he is one of our board members, does an excellent job, and I know he'll do a great job for you all uh, next week. I brought my bottle of water up here, and the bottle of water is filled to about half of its capacity, and so if I placed the bottle in front of you, uh, the, the question that we always ask in a situation like this is, do you see this bottle of water as being half full, or do you see this bottle of water as being half empty? And, it's, and it, it may well depend on whether you're thirsty right now or not. And it's kind of a simple test, but we often use that as a litmus test to kind of determine how people think. Tonight, as we think about Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, what we're trying to do is think in terms of either building, beginning, building on, having a positive sort of mindset toward living life uh, as a Christian because trouble and, and hardship and challenges, all kinds of things are going to affect us from time to time and those may happen uh, at home and they may happen at school and they may happen at work. They happen in a variety of places. And it's not so much what happens, it's more about how we react. And so reacting in a godly way, reacting in a biblical way becomes very, very uh, important. The other thing that sometimes happens to us is we fall into the trap of lamenting. A couple of words will preface our sentence. Sometimes we'll, talk, we'll, we'll say, well, if only, and we'll lament things that we don't have or blessings that haven't come our way or what we're, you know, the person that we're not as good as in our eyes. And, and we'll use those laments, those if only statements that they'll keep us from being active sometimes in the kingdom, that they'll keep us from doing a lot of things. And the question is, is that what God wants from the people who represent Him here on this earth? In other words, the God who has provided us with every blessing, every blessing, James chapter 117, comes down from God. The God who blesses us with everything, does He want us as His children walking around constantly focused on who we're not like and what we don't have and, and what we don't think we can do? Or... Is there a more biblical mindset that he would prefer to see within us? Now, 
I'm a huge proponent of positive thinking. You may or may not be. If you are, you realize there is a lot of secular material about how to think in a more positive way. And what you find when you start reading that stuff is a lot of it's biblical. I'm reading a little book right now. It's called Deep Strengths. It's by a guy named Price Pritchett. And in his book, he came up with these ten attributes, positive attributes that he believes are very important for any organization if it's going to be healthy and if it's going to thrive. And in building his case, he, he surveyed CEOs, some of for-profit companies, some of not-for-profit companies, and he also surveyed some entrepreneurs. And he asked the question, these ten things that I'm listing for you, and I'm not going to bore you with the whole list, but he said, of these ten things, on a scale of one to five, how important are they for the health of your organization? And, and these CEOs and these entrepreneurs, they all rated these things as being very, very important. Then he asked the question, out of the list of ten, what are your top three? Which three do you see as being mo most important? In all three groups surveyed, the same three items rose, the same three attributes rather, rose to the top. And in that list is a can-do attitude. Now, if CEOs see that as important for their organizations, the church, we're a family and we're the bride of Christ and you can make all these comparisons that the Bible makes, but we're also an organization and we're only going to be as healthy as we are individually. And so, as if I'm the negative guy, I can hold a lot of people back. And so the more positive we are as individuals, the better that is for the group. And so we want to take Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, a very familiar verse. I can do all things through Him or through Christ, depending on your translation, who strengthens me. And we're going to break that down into three parts, spend a few minutes with it, and the lesson will be yours tonight. So think about the first part of the verse, I can. See, I think we realize at a core level that, that, that we need to be positive, but I also think we realize that negative thinking is nothing new. It's very easy. This quotation that's come up on the screen. This telephone has too many shortcomings to be uh, considered seriously as a means of communication. It is inherently of no value to us. You think Western Union had some days where they looked back and regretted that meeting in 1876? I mean, if you're in the room that day, somebody has walked in and they've got this great idea. We don't have to be in the same room to communicate by voice anymore. We can be over here and you can be way over there. And this idea, this telephone, it's going to allow us to communicate. And so the, the people at Western Union, they could see limitations and they could see problems and they could see all the reasons why it might not, might not work, but they could not imagine a day you ever leave home without your phone and you feel like you left home without part of your clothes on and you'll actually, you, you go back to get it, don't you? Because you just don't feel like you're appropriately attired if you go out without your phone. That's where we are today. They couldn't see it. We're talking about a positive mindset, and you've had it happen probably to you. You've got a great idea. And maybe you're sharing your idea at home. Maybe you walk into the conference room at work and you're sharing it with your coworkers. Maybe it's been a great idea that you've had here at church, but, but you present your great idea, and what's the first thing somebody says? 
Say it out loud. It's, you can say it out loud. That won't work. You ever heard that one? We've tried that before. You heard that one? And when people do that, it's almost like they just throw up all over your great idea. It's like cold water. And maybe you've been on the other side of the table. Somebody's presenting something to you, and they're excited about it. And immediately, there's just something about the way we're wired. We can see problems. And and I can see the problems, and I can see the challenges, and I have to bite my tongue to keep from shattering that person's dream. To be a dream crusher, maybe. Well, sometimes the way to learn about what we need to be is to learn through what I would call negative example. And this is where I want to go to Exodus chapter 3. And and this isn't unfamiliar territory with you. This is Moses. And Moses, while we know him to be a great leader, you you remember that when God called Moses, uh, Moses evidently wasn't listening well. And Moses was one of those guys who he he could see limitations in himself. And he made excuses, and we want to think for just a few minutes about those, and we want to think about why they're such a big deal. And see, one thing that we always want to be doing when we're studying the Bible, especially out of the Old Testament, when you see something going on, one of the questions we always want to be asking is, okay, what is this telling me about God? And we see some very important things about God in this narrative with Moses. Now, about, well, Moses has been out tending sheep. He's called to this at about 80 years of age. And I want you to notice chapter 3 of Exodus beginning in verse 7. The Bible says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I'm aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. I don't like those lists of names. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Now if you're Moses, and you're 80, and God appears to you in this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up, and this is the message, how are you going to react? Because what God has said is, you know, he's, God has said, now these are my people, and I'm listening to them, and I'm hearing them, and, and I'm, they're talking, and they're crying out, and they're oppressed, and I'm going to do something about it. In fact, I'm coming down there to fix this, is what God says. But you know what Moses hears? All Moses hears is verse 10. The part where God says, I want you to go take care of this. Moses thinks it's all on him. Moses makes this all about him. And this is supposed to be all about God. And so Moses, and you're familiar with these, he begins to make excuses. He, he's going he's to give off a whole list of reasons why he's not the right guy for this job. Notice verse 11, excuse number 1. But Moses said to God, Who am I 
that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. Moses' response first to God is, well, see, I'm a nobody. I don't know why you'd want me to do this. Well, God answers that for him. And then you get to verse 13 because Moses is immediately ready with another excuse. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I'll say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? In other words, I may go start talking to my people, to our people, and they may start asking me questions, and I may not have an answer for them. And so, what am I going to say? Well, God deals with that and and tells Moses what he's going to need to say, not only to his own people, but also uh, to Pharaoh when he gets there. Well, then jump ahead to chapter 4, verse 1, and Moses is ready with yet another excuse. Then Moses said, well, what if they will not believe me? Or listen to what I say, for they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. He's saying that, you know, the the people, I'm going to go to them and I'm going to tell them that I've got a message from God and they're going to say, well, you must be out of your mind. God had been talking to you. Who are you that you would say that you've got a message from God? I don't have any credibility is what Moses is saying. Well, God answers him and he fixes the credibility issue. And then you get to verse 10 of of chapter 4. Then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent. Uh, Neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I'm slow of speech and I'm slow of tongue. He said, I can't speak well. And I heard a preacher say one time, we were talking about this, and he said, you know, there's a great irony and there's almost humor in this because here's Moses. He's saying that he's not eloquent enough to go and, and speak to Pharaoh after that's what God says God wants Moses to do. And yet, Moses is eloquent enough to argue with the God of heaven. Well, Moses still isn't done because after God sets up the whole, this is how we're going to get the, the speaking part done, notice how Moses ends it in verse 13. But he said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. In other words... I've made all my excuses. Just get somebody else. If you go back and you look through this, one of the things you'll notice in these verses, you'll see lots of personal pronouns from Moses. You'll see lots of I, lots of me, how am I going to do this? And what you see in Moses, you see him, he's, he's focused on his limitations, he's focused on his lack of importance, he's focused on his lack of knowing how to answer, his lack of credibility, his lack of being able to speak well. And what Moses has done is he's been so focused on himself that he's left no room for God. And that's a mistake. It happens here in the Old Testament. Sometimes it happens today. Traveling, it sometimes plays out this way in a congregation. Maybe it's the end of the service and we're about to dismiss. And so uh, sometimes it's the preacher... Uh, sometimes it's a beleaguered deacon, but, it, but, but the, whoever it is will come up and they'll grab both sides and they'll hang on tight and say, now listen, the new quarter is about to start. And, if we, and, and you, you can see, you can hear it in their voice. They're ready to go down to one knee. If we could just get somebody to teach the three-year-olds or whatever the age is, you know, it's, it's this plea for somebody to step up and 
One of my preacher friends, he used to tell people, he'd say, now if you, he'd go around and he'd ask them to teach, and if they'd say no, he'd say, well, you're not saying no to me, you're saying no to Jesus. Well, that's pretty catchy, but I've also noticed that guy moves around a lot. So sometimes, maybe we don't do it the way Moses does, but maybe sometimes we're tempted to make excuses when maybe we ought to be stepping up. Maybe because God has things we need to do. Because if we're going to ask that question, what does Exodus 3, what does Exodus 4 tell me about God? Notice verse 14. Because after five excuses... The Bible finally says, then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. The anger of the Lord is kindled against him. Finally, God is, he's upset. And think about what's going on here. The Creator is having a conversation with the created. And the Creator is asking the created to do something. And the created is looking back at the Creator and saying, I can't do that. You may have made me, and, you, and yes, I know you've given me everything, I, but, but it's a slap in the face to God. It really is. See, the Bible tells us that we're to be confident. Not arrogant, but confident. I'm not going to spend much time. I want to just briefly read through uh, four passages and as I read through these, I want you to notice that there is a confidence that, that, that we ought to have about us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and discipline. Ephesians 3, 11 and 12. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and, and confident access through Him. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And then finally, one of the passages that we looked at this morning, Romans 8, 37 through 39. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The following is called positive thinking. If you think you're beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you'd like to win but think you can't, it's almost certain that you won't. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man, but sooner or later the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. So we talk about I can, and in the middle part of our verse, I can do all things. The, the middle part of Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 we need to focus in on the idea of all things. And it's worth asking some questions. Are we saying, when we read this verse, that we're going to be the best at everything? Well, I don't think so. Are we saying that we're always going to have the measure of success that we'd like to have in everything that we try? I don't believe so. But I believe when we go to the context, when we start looking at some of the other verses there in Philippians chapter 4, we begin to get a picture of, of what it is that Paul's saying uh, about this mindset. Notice beginning in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4. 
He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And it's after all of that that he then says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The key for us... The key for Paul is contentment. You may remember about a decade ago, uh, Sheryl Crow had a song called Soak Up the Sun if you listen to pop music. And in that song there was a line that said, it's not having what you want, it's wanting what you get or what you've got. The challenge for us is being content in any circumstance when we live in a society where we think we're supposed to have everything. Paul said, you know, I've been hungry and I've been in situations where I didn't have enough. And then I've been in situations where I've had plenty and I've had everything I could need. And he said, I've learned the secret is, no matter what's going on in my life, I'm going to be content. And the question is, can we say that about our lives? Whatever the situation, can I make a statement like, well, I can handle that. I can deal with that. I can overcome that. I can get past that. I realize that the thing that's happened to me in and of itself may not be good, but I, but I realize that I can learn from that and I can grow from that and, and I'll be better the next time around. Or hey, it may not be going the way I'd like it to go right now, but I realize that from where I am right now, I can still be in heaven one day. And if I can still be in heaven one day, then, then I'm going to find a way to be content right now. See, Paul sums it all up when he says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You know, back to our container of water where we began, someone once said the secret is understanding that as a Christian, the, the bottle is never really half full, the bottle's never really half empty. The secret as a Christian is to understand that actually the bottle is always overflowing because that's the God that we serve. I want to go back to Moses. There are none of us in the room who would, who would say that, that what God called Moses to wasn't a major undertaking. I mean, you're 80 years old, and here's God showing up saying, I need you to go down and get in front of Pharaoh and bring my people out. That's a huge task. And yet when Moses balked, God got angry. What's God calling you to? What's He calling me to? When am I tempted to say, well, I can't do that? And when I'm tempted to say that, whatever it may be, do I go back and think about this? You know, has, is God calling me to anything more major than He called Moses to? And if the answer is no, I'd better be open to God in my thinking. The third thing we want to notice as we finish up tonight, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Our third point this evening, it's the key to the verse, and it's actually the key to the entire lesson. See, if I try to stand, and I try to stand on my own, I am destined to fail, and I'm destined to fail miserably. 
And we've got to remember that it's, that it's always about him. And we said this before, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is making it all about himself. And what he needs to be doing is making it all about God. And when we'll make it all about God, we can do a lot better. But the hard thing to do is to make it all about him living in an it's-all-about-me society. I want to go back to those four verses that I read for you a few minutes ago. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. We'll start there. But as I put these back up or, or put them on the screen for the first time, as we read back through them, again, we're not going to spend a lot of time, but as we go back to them, I want you to notice something there. There's nothing in them about how great I am or about how great you are. Everything, the emphasis there is on the greatness of God and on what God has done. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. It, the, the mindset there is coming from God. Ephesians 3, This was accordance with the etern- in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom... We have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. See, the reason I can be positive about my life, the reason I can think the way God wants me to think, is because I'm in Christ. That's where the blessing is found. Hebrews chapter 13. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's a promise from God. And because of that promise, we can come back and confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What will man do to me? It's all about Him. And then even in Romans chapter 8, that in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. None of these verses focus on the power of me. They all focus on the greatness of God. And and, and because of that, if if the power to be successful comes from Christ, and, and we see that in the Scripture, then the goal in my life ought to be to know Him better and better and better with every passing day. I like Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. There's so much of the Bible where when you read it, you read it and you think to yourself, well, or at least I do, I don't know about you, but I'll read something and I'll think, well, I'm not quite there yet, but boy, that's a great goal to have in front of me. That's what I want to work on. Well, Philippians chapter 3 is a lot like that. But whatever things were gained to me, those I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ... More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. See, I have trouble with that. There's still some things I value way more than I probably ought to, but but the idea is I'm trying to grow to this point where I think less about everything else and more about Christ. He says, For whom I suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having a righteousness my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And there's a lifetime of work in that paragraph. 
I'll take you back one last time to Moses. And you can go back and do some reading on your own study time, but one of the things you notice in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, every time Moses had an excuse, God immediately had an answer for him. And we can know... And we can be confident in the fact that that when we have questions and when we're tempted to make excuses, God has provided us with the answers we need as well. Now, we may have to dig for them. We may have to search for them. But as we read this morning, God's given us everything we need to be what He wants us to be. Dennis Waitley said, the, glory, or excuse me, the winner glories in the good, the whiner majors in the mediocre, winners' thinking processes uh, differ from other people's as part of their normal moment-to-moment stream of consciousness. Winners think constantly in terms of I can and I will. Others concentrate their waking thoughts on what they should have done, would have done, what they can't do. When the mind's self-talk is positive, performance is more likely to be successful. The huge majority of our negative doubts and fears are imaginary or beyond our control. And I got way behind and I apologize. Let's see. There we are. As I said before, there's a lot of things we can read that will help us think in a more positive way. But the absolute best positive thinking manual ever written is this one that's guiding us toward heaven. The question is, how do we see our abilities this evening? Are we focused often too much on our limitations? Are we open-minded and focused on what God can accomplish through us when we simply make ourselves available to Him? It's been said that success is 99% mental attitude. It calls for love, joy, optimism, confidence, uh, serenity, poise, faith, courage, cheerfulness, imagination, initiative, tolerance, honesty, humility, patience, and enthusiasm. That's a big list, but you know what? Those things are all biblical. Tonight, as we get ready to sing the song that's been selected, have you, in a mirror situation, thinking about your life and me thinking about mine, the question is, have we embraced the challenges that God has placed in front of us or have there been times where we've made excuses to God? Have there been times where maybe we've even told God no? Have you taken on the challenge tonight of obeying the gospel? of being baptized into Christ for the mission of sins. Sometimes people hesitate in making that decision because they don't think they can live up to God's standard. Well, guess what? You can't. None of us can. That's the beauty of God's grace and His love and His mercy. We surrender our lives to Him and we begin our walk with Him and we'll stand in front of Him one day depending on His grace and His mercy and His love. Tonight, maybe you're here and as a member of the family, maybe you need to rededicate your life to Christ. Maybe the response to this lesson is going home and spending time with God alone in prayer and just recommitting to the idea that when God puts an opportunity in front of you, you're going to do everything within your power to embrace it and to tell God yes. If you do have a need tonight that we can help you with, let that be known while we stand and while we sing.